Today's program is Brave to Bold, and I'm Deborah Ann Sweezy. This program is to empower, enlighten you along life's journey. Today, my guest is Michael Garcia. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. And Michael grew up in Pennsylvania. He has three grown sons, and one is currently in the Navy. And Michael is a grandfather of three. His hobbies are flying and cycling. And you just finished El Tour de Tucson? That's correct. correct yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you raised over how much money? $19,000 for Tunedito. Oh, my goodness. And Tunedito is your favorite charity. Yes, it is. It's a charity that provides grief support for children. And I looked it up, and it means your little nest. How precious is that? Yes, it is. That is so good. So tell us why you chose the charity. I became involved with Tunedito. Uh, the, the CEO there, Liz McCusker, was a friend. And five or six years ago, I was just trying to get healthy and started riding a bicycle, and she asked me to ride for the charity. And I was in just terrible shape and about 50 pounds overweight. And because I'm a man and have a big ego, I said I would ride the whole 105 miles, bought a bicycle, rode nine miles, and realized that I was in big trouble. And then they assigned a child, Leah. Then I started riding for her and every day added a few miles and ended up doing the whole 105 miles and and just kind of fell in love with the organization and their mission and and cycling. And cycling. I was going to say you'd have to love it by now to do 105 miles. I do now, yeah. Yeah, I just finished my sixth El Tour. Oh, my goodness. That's so amazing. So how much money do you think you have raised for this charity over your six years? Probably close to $80,000 or so. Oh, my goodness sakes. Okay. I kind of pride myself on being the highest fundraiser. And the past couple of years, uh, Scott Lehman has has challenged me. And actually, I lost this year. Oh, dear. I raised nineteen, and he raised $29,000. Oh, my goodness. So good for him. I don't mind losing that. Right. Good for him and good for the children, too. Well, let's get started on your story, which just was so intriguing to me and many, many other people that have heard your story. And it starts back in Pennsylvania when you were a young boy. Would you Mm -hmm. like to address that? Yeah, I grew up in a household that was, you know, by today's standards especially would be considered kind of abusive. My my uh, father had an alcohol problem and was quite violent. I became in fear of my life, and in the summer I turned 13, I decided to run away because I just had gotten tired of being beat on and felt that I needed to get out of that situation. So I left, you know, like most 7th graders, I had no clue what I was really going to do. So wandered off into the woods and, and through my, my Boy Scout training, knew how to build a shelter and a fire, and I just didn't figure out what I was going to eat. So water was easily available, but after a few days, I got hungry and stayed out there for about a week and then decided that wasn't going to work. So, had you packed some food to take No, with? I literally, when I said run away, I ran out of the house. I oh, had okay. a little gym bag, and I think I took a change of underwear and a pair of socks and a t-shirt. Uh, Oh, and a ball of twine and a pocket knife. Boy Scout, you know, always be prepared. Absolutely. And I hadn't really thought that out. And there were a couple of the neighborhood kids who sort of knew where I was. And I think uh, one of them brought me a sandwich one day. And but it wasn't it wasn't a good long term plan. Mm -hmm. And I decided to leave and went out on the highway and started itching. 
Oh my goodness sakes! Well, back then we did hitchhike. We Thank did goodness. in the seventies. That was That's a very exactly common thing right. to see. Yeah. Very common yeah. thing to see. Yeah. I know yeah. you never see that today, but thank goodness yeah. that was available to you then. Yeah. And I think you said you were picked up by a couple of people. Yeah, I got a couple of short rides. I was trying to get to Washington D.C. I I knew that I had a grandmother that lived there and was hoping that she would take me in. So I kind of knew that that the which interstate went in that direction. And just got two or three rides until another man picked me up, uh, Samuel Stewart. Bought me a cheeseburger and a bus ticket to Washington, D.C. And uh, I think he kind of saved my life. I think he did, too. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. I bet that cheeseburger tasted pretty it was, fine. It was the best. I can still remember it to this 45 years later, and I can still remember what that cheeseburger tasted I like. I am sure you can. That's yeah. for sure. And your grandmother had no clue you were coming. No. My father, of course, did not report me missing, so nobody really knew anything. And, you know, there were no computers in those days. Right, and, no cell phones. Yeah, no cell phones. And, you know, it was sort of a rough part of the city and the country. And seeing kids walk around was not that uncommon. And, you know, so it just nobody was really looking. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So how did you eventually find your grandmother? I got on the bus to downtown Washington, D.C., and she lived in a suburb called Mount Rainier, just outside the D.C. line. And so I just asked people directions, and I walked. And it took me two days to get there walking because I didn't know to hitchhike because I didn't know which way it was. And just kept asking directions. And I had visited her as a child and remembered what the neighborhood looked like. It was an old-fashioned neighborhood that had a town square with a dime store and a shoe repair and okay. like they did in those Absolutely. days. And I remember finding the main street. And she lived on a road called Bunker Hill Road. And I just walked down the road until I recognized her house. And I knocked on her door, and she was really surprised to see me. I'm sure she so, was. And she did take me in. Oh. Yeah. So how long did you live with her? I lived with her until I graduated high school. Okay. So what was that, four or five years? Okay. Worked my way through through high school and, you know, kind of managed to, to make it where I am now. Mm-hmm. But I think as we were visiting before we are broadcasting, you had mentioned that there was a special teacher that you yes. had in high school that we definitely want to talk about. I, I didn't find my grandmother right away. It took me a little while, but I did enroll in high school. Oh, okay. So I went over there, and they, you know it was an inner city high school, and they let anybody in there. And so I was there for a while, and there was a guidance counselor who pulled me aside, and I was skinny and sickly, and she asked me uh, what my story was, and I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to end up in the foster care system. Because I was still technically a runaway. And she managed to get me Social Security so that I could eat and live. And I managed to put a little bit of money away and enough to buy a house when I turned 19 years old. That is so incredible. So, yeah. So, a big thank you to teachers and her especially. And I felt it really was incredible that she reached out. And, and she got me free lunch tickets so I could eat every day. And yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's hard to imagine in the United States of America that we have this going on, but we truly do. There are a lot of kids right here in Tucson. You can go to schools like Thornydale Elementary and their Title I schools, and there are thousands of kids. CPS is completely overwhelmed with children that are, are from abusive homes and have been abandoned and, and need our help. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's get back to your story. Let's back up and talk about Sam. Okay. And this wonderful man that just was led by God to pick you up. Tell us about that. That's really interesting because 
I like to think that I'd be the kind of person that would have stopped for a ratty hitchhiker, but I, I'm not. You know, I mean, most of us see a hitchhiker, especially one that's been out in the woods for a few days and, and looks really rough, and we'll pass him by. Sure. And Sam told me that he was going to do that, but he said this voice came in his head and said, stop. And he stopped. Wow. He was a very nice man and, and uh, fed me, obviously, and had been looking for me for years. And I got a Facebook message from him when I was in La Paz about a month ago that said he'd been looking for someone named Mike Garcia for all these years that he had helped along the highway. And was I him? And I was just absolutely stunned and said, that's me. So we sent several messages and finally I... I said, well, how in the world did you ever find me? And he said that he just prayed about it for years and he would keep looking. And then when Facebook came out, that he narrowed the search by using the word Washington, D.C. And I was born there. He said that when he kept looking through the different Mike Garcias, and there are thousands of them, he said he actually recognized my picture. And so now we're back in touch again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, he had some extremely beautiful words to tell you. He really did. And yeah. so is there something you can tell us that was so memorable to you for the audience of his thoughts about you? He had said that he had had a prayer list for all these years, and he kept it in his family Bible. And he would write the names of the people that he prayed for on pieces of tape. And as each person passed away, he would peel the tape off. And he sent me a picture of the family Bible when it was full of pieces of tape. And he sent me the newest picture, and there were only two people left in there. And I was one of them. Oh, my goodness. And it's just astounding. He's 65 now, and it's just astounding that that he remembered just one little kid that he reached out to. 45 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Obviously, God is not going to let him no. let go of that. No, that's exactly right. I think that was and, one uh, of his comments. He yeah. said he just knew he had to continue to find you. That's exactly right. Yeah, he said that he'd, he'd heard this voice, and, and afterwards, every year or two, that he just kind of received instructions to keep looking. And he did, and I and I think there's a reason for that. And part of it is that it's that he has a message for me, for you, for a lot of people, maybe. Absolutely. When I first heard your story, it makes you realize, really realize that where you are in life is calculated. (laughs) There are no accidents in this world, and it is totally calculated by God, and And we can so depend on him for that. Absolutely. Even the smallest things, things that seem to you and me to be random are not random. Right. And if you think about the tangent that my life took because this young man stopped and, and fed me and sent me off to Washington, D.C., that could have gone any other way. And now I'm here and I'm able to reach out to the charities, to some of the schools, and try to give back some of what he gave me. And the wrong person could have picked me up or nobody could have picked me up or I could have been returned to an abusive household, anything. Right. But that's not what happened. So how young was this man? I'm trying to calculate it in my head and I'm not doing such a good job here. Probably 26 or 27 years old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, He was in his early twenties, you know, of course at my age, he was an adult, you know, everybody over 20 is dad, you know, and uh, when you're 13 years old and but he was a young man himself. I believe he was still in college. Okay. And uh, I think he still lived with his parents at the time, okay. as I remember. 
And then he's gone on and he actually suffered a tragedy back in the, in the mid eighties. He lost his wife and child in a, in a traffic accident, but kept his faith. He kept reaching out to people and he's a, he's a beautiful human being because of it. Right. I think one of his quotes, he said that picking you up that day was one of the most important decisions and act of spiritual intervention that he had ever had. I believe that's absolutely correct. And I think that because of that action, it's it's allowed me to reach out to so many other people. And I've owned several businesses since and have always tried to improve the lives of other people that have worked for and with me. So that small act has reached out to so many other people. And it's it's reaching out right now. Yes, it is. With this podcast. That's right. So there's nothing random and there's nothing small. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and one other thing that Sam said, the whole article is so fabulous, it's astounding, but one of his other quotes that I liked so much was, our value in life is only measured by our value to others. Yes. Wasn't that beautiful? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I believe that myself. It's funny that he's he's held that all these years, and, and I don't know if I learned that from him and just carried it forward. But I also believe that. And he certainly has been of great value to to me. And I wonder how many other people. Right, yeah. right. Very good. Okay. What about your siblings? I have to ask about them. How did they end up from an abusive home? They didn't do as well. Okay. They stayed, continued to, to suffer the abuse. One of them did end up committing suicide eventually. And then the other just kind of ended up in and out of the, the prison systems and the societal places that people go when they suffer from abuse. And, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to to have had that, that strength. And I always believed that there was something better for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just didn't allow that to, to continue to, to bring me down. And unfortunately it wasn't so good for them. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to people that are listening to this podcast? What would you say as to how to help someone in an abusive situation or to that individual. That's a very difficult thing. The the problem is is those situations are familial. They're, you know, it's it's a it's a parent usually or even maybe even a child picking on an elder person, someone a stronger person that's 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 abusing a weaker person. That's a kind of a Stockholm syndrome. They've become used to that. That becomes their normal. They don't realize, I didn't realize at the time that this wasn't, wasn't a normal way of, of doing things. So it's, it's, it's really hard. You know, now, thank God we have, have a system now where people realize that you can call 911, you can get intervention. But, you know, in the 60s, it wasn't that way. If you called for help, you know, the, the police would come and, and they'd say, well, you know, knock it off. Don't do that anymore. What I would say now is talk to somebody. Okay. Reach out. You know, if you're a child, reach out to a teacher. If you're an adult and you see yourself feeling that kind of anger, you know, go to your church. Go to go go to a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, realize that maybe this kind of abuse that that the abusers are are uh, carrying on came from something that happened to them. Mm-hmm. This is a chain, and somebody has to break the chain. Mm-hmm. The, you're, if you're the adult and you've, you find yourself the one that's that's doing this kind of thing, you have to look back and say, where did I learn this? 
and I have to be the one that stops it mm-hmm. and to reach out and, and seek counseling, seek, seek help. Yeah. So it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. Unfortunately, it's like you said, there's, there's an awful lot of it still out there. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's hidden. And so yes. people are afraid to step up yeah. and speak, but that's what you're saying has to be done. It's, it, it has to come out. People have to talk about it. I think it's improving. I want to believe it's improving. I want to believe it too. I think, you know, we don't see the, the corporal punishment that was so prevalent back in the 60s and 70s where they're, 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 the teachers are talking more to kids rather than, you know, well, we're going to step in the planning room and get a paddling. And, you know, I, I personally don't believe in, in any type of physical punishment. I think I think we're trying to raise adults and there's no time in the adult world where striking another person is is an acceptable way to solve a problem. Right. So we, we need to teach our children that we solve problems through reason and communication and communication mm-hmm. through words right yeah. very good yeah. i wanted to get back to one of the quotes that sam said because we're almost ready to close our podcast okay. unfortunately yeah. but he said that there was a voice calling out within him to help as you said and just speak to the audience about if they feel like there is an inclination to reach out and help and the voice is indeed speaking to them, what should they do? This is a simple thing. Listen to it. Do what the voice says. I think we all hear that voice. Yes, we do. I think the problem is too many of us don't listen to it, don't respond, don't believe. And so reason it's a real, it out. Exactly. It's real simple. If you hear that voice, listen to what it tells you. Great. Uh, Michael, one last question. Since the show is named Brave to Bold, clearly you have told us about that. But tell us in a nutshell how you have stepped out to be brave and turned into bold. Well, I, I think I went from a terrified child to someone who decided that I was going to break that chain and raise my children in a different way and raise them so that when they had children that they would they would love them and reason with them and and raise good loving caring adults great Michael, thank you so much, and I know this story is going to be very meaningful for many to come, many years to come. So I thank you very much for coming by. Thank you for having me. 